0: Welcome to St. Louis on the Air. I'm Don Marsh. In 2012, Andrew Oberly was living his dream, working with chimpanzees at an animal sanctuary in South Africa when tragedy struck. He recounted the story of surviving a near-fatal attack by two chimpanzees and his long road to recovery at the last Story Collider event in October. We hear that story now.
1: So, ever since I was 8 years old, I knew what I wanted to do for the rest of my life. I wanted to work with my most favorite animal in the world, chimpanzees. In second grade, uh, my teacher, Mrs. Rosso, she taught us about Dr. Jane Goodall and how she was living in Africa with chimpanzees and teaching the world how amazing these animals were. I loved how human-like they looked, the way they moved. I loved the noises that they made, the way they, they played with each other and moved through the trees with little effort. I love how smart they were when they would make their own tools to fish for termites. I went home that afternoon, and I told my mom, that's what I want to do when I grow up. So growing up, I spent as much time in zoos as I possibly could, and I eventually wound up as a graduate student in anthropology. And then in 2012, in June, I traveled to South Africa to a chimp sanctuary to fulfill my lifelong dream of conducting my very own original master's thesis research with my favorite animals. So one afternoon, I was out there giving a tour, stopped at an all-adult enclosure to tell the guests about the resident chimps in that group. And something enraged the two males in that group. And uh, they decided to escape their enclosure and teach me a deadly lesson. Now, I don't know why they did it. Maybe they saw me as a threat invading their territory, trying to steal their girlfriends. Maybe they just wanted to show all the humans that were with us who the real boss of that reserve was. Who knows? Chimps are chimps. Full-grown adult male chimps are especially dangerous, especially smart, and can be very, very deadly aggressive. Now... What made it even worse for me was that I knew these chimps. I cared about them. And that's why I was actually there at that sanctuary, because I wanted to do everything I could to make sure that these chimps had the best life that they possibly could. So as they were holding me down, biting at me, tearing at my flesh, all I could do was scream and yell, Nikki, Amadeus, stop it, please don't. But none of that worked. I didn't think they'd ever stop. It felt like an eternity. You know, if I, if I close my eyes, I can still actually feel Nikki's hot breath on my face right before he bit off my nose. And I can see Amadeus' big white eyes and his big white teeth as he bit finger one by one, almost in like a this-little-piggy-went-to-the-market fashion. You know, when my pleas didn't work, I tried fighting back, but I didn't have any luck. They nearly killed me. Um, When the doctors finally got a hold of my mom, they told her to get to South Africa as soon as she possibly could, but not to have her hopes up. Can you imagine how tough that 20-hour flight must have been for her? So I was rescued from the scene. I was rushed to a small emergency med clinic, and I nearly bled out. The doctors had to use 25 units of blood just to keep me going while they addressed all my wounds. I had lost a lot of my scalp, both of my ears. As you can see, most of my fingers. I lost my nose. I had a nasty gash on the side of my face. I had a collapsed lung. I went in and out of septic shock several times. My, both of my wrists were torn up, my elbow, my back end, my legs. I lost over half of my right foot, all the toes on my left foot. The doctor, they did an emergency tracheotomy. They put me on a ventilator and into an induced coma. And I woke up about two and a half weeks later in that hospital in South Africa with my mom and my dad kind of looking over down at me, smiling. I had no idea where I was. So I tried to ask, but I couldn't get any words out. And when I tried to talk, I felt something funny in my neck. So I tried to reach up to feel what it was, but I couldn't lift my arms. And I heard other voices around me outside of my mom and dad. So I wanted to see who it was, but I couldn't even lift and turn my head to take a look. And I remember my mom Telling me, you know, you're in a hospital in Johannesburg. Do you remember what happened to you? And I wanted to say yes, but I couldn't spit those words out. All I could do was kind of nod. And when I nodded, I looked down, and all I could really see was a mangled, bloody, bandaged body from the feet up. And that's when I started getting really scared and started getting really anxious and started realizing how bad things actually were for me. And then I started feeling all the pain throughout every inch of my body, and I started feeling helpless, more helpless than I've ever felt in my life. And then that question that a lot of us have, especially in those hard moments, is why me? Why me? And that was just going through my head over and over. Now over the next few days, Uh, I started getting visited by this nice old South African man named Yopi. Yopi was the hospital's counselor. Now, I don't really remember the substance of our conversations. I was just brought out of an induced coma and on a lot of every kind of drug you can imagine. But I do remember the feeling that I would have when Yopi would leave. He'd leave for the day, and I'd start to think about things. What happened to me? Where I was? What might happen to me? But the one kind of reoccurring thought that really kept creeping in after those visits with Yopi was, Wow, I'm alive. I should not be here today, but I'm here. So maybe I do have a little control. Maybe I'm not completely helpless. Now, around that same time, uh, my mom, who's actually sitting in the crowd tonight, she started reading me notes and cards that she had hung kind of near the end of my bed that people had sent. There were cards from people back home that I've known and loved my entire life. There were cards from strangers from all over the world. And they all had kind of the same message. Andrew, I'm praying for you. I'm thinking about you. If anybody can get through this, you can do it. And that's when something really sparked inside me, and I stopped feeling sorry for myself, even in that condition I was in at that point. I knew I couldn't let my family down, I couldn't let my friends down, I couldn't let all these amazing strangers who went out of their way to do something for me, I couldn't let them down, couldn't let myself down, and most importantly, I couldn't let my beautiful dog Angie, who was waiting for me back home, down. She needed me. So I was in the hospital over there in South Africa for about another five weeks. Uh, I experienced daily agonizing dressing changes that could last up to four hours. Uh, While they were pumping me full of fentanyl during those dressing changes, I had my mom cover my face with a towel, put on my YouTube playlist, so I could find some escape from that pain and from having to look down at my destroyed, damaged body that was terrifyingly gross. There was a lot of things that were really going on at that point that were trying to keep me down. But I remembered those notes, and I remember what Yopi, how he made me feel, and I knew I had to keep fighting back. So that's what I did. I even took on the one therapy challenge that they put in front of me at that hospital if I could sit on the edge of my bed for just two minutes and hold myself in position after they put me there, that could mean I could get on a wheelchair, get put on an airplane, and get to go home to see Angie. Now, trying to sit on the edge of your bed when your back end has been completely torn apart by razor-sharp chimpanzee teeth. And now let me tell you, so, A lot of the questions I get are, you know, aren't Chips cute and cuddly? Now, the ones you see on TV, yes, they are. But when adolescence kicks in, for the males especially, they become these four-foot-tall, 200-pound juggernauts with razor-sharp canines and the strength of five men. So they did a number on me. But sitting on the edge of my bed with bandages and everything going on back there, it was tough every session but I fought through it because I wanted to go home. And then one day, it happened. I finally sat up and I held myself there for two minutes. And my reward, just a couple days later, they put me on a stretcher, wheeled me out of that hospital into an ambulance and we were off to the airport and I was on my way home to see Angie. So when I arrived in St. Louis and got to St. Louis University, I got to meet my new doctor, And my new best friend, Dr. Bruce Kramer. He's chief of plastic and reconstructive surgery at SLU. And he he utilized his passion for innovative wound care to heal my body in some really remarkable ways. So I said my wrist was destroyed. I couldn't move it from this position, couldn't move my thumb. To fix that, he cut a flap into my belly and sutured that flap to my arm for three weeks where I was stuck like that. Now, after we cut that flap away, let it heal up, he went in, rearranged some of the tendons to where now I can extend my wrist, and I can also kind of give you guys a thumbs up. Now, his colleague, Michael Bernstein, built me a new nose from the skin on my forehead and the cartilage in my ribs. And Dr. Kramer also uses this really amazing product called Stem, what us patients like to call magic fairy dust. What stem is, it's just a powder. It's derived from pig's bladder. It looks a lot like Parmesan cheese. But it's an incredible thing. What it really is, is you pack it in a wound, and it acts as a scaffolding for your body to kind of build over. And it tells your body exactly what kind of cell needs to go in that very specific location. So specific, in fact, that a good buddy and fellow patient of mine actually grew back his old thumbprint after chopping off the tip of his thumb. So I was growing back normal tissue on my head with hair follicles and sweat glands instead of having a big, skull, big scarred scalp. The gash that you can maybe see on the side of my face here, I think it's actually still getting smaller, more filled out, and less noticeable. I wasn't, any, I wasn't experiencing any phantom pains or nerve pains in my amputation sites because this major stem was actually helping my body grow new nerves instead of letting the old ones bunch up and cause all that pain. But the level of healing I experienced, it wasn't just reducing my pain and healing my wounds. It was allowing me to try new state-of-the-art prosthetic devices for my hands and my feet. And that confidence that I got from that healing was allowing me to put my face back out there in the world with confidence I never thought I'd have again. So with that confidence, my new prosthetics, I went to the gym every day to get stronger and faster to where now I'm running 5Ks with Angie, I'm doing unassisted pull-ups. But that motivation, it also got me wanting to do a new master's thesis and finish what I had started. Now, I couldn't get back out into the field and study chimps like I wanted to. I couldn't really even get to the zoo to do, to get off my feet. So, I did something I could do from the back room of my mom's house on my computer. So, I used satellite images. I used published primate field data, and I used geographic information systems to show how detrimental, uh, Large multinational palm oil company was to chimpanzee populations and other primate populations in a small national park in southwest Cameroon that I visited a few years back. So after a few months, I finished my thesis. It was approved by my committee. And I actually got to go back down to San Antonio where I was enrolled in school and walk that commencement stage on my new prosthetics on Mother's Day with her watching me walk that stage like she's here watching me tonight. Oops, thank you. Thank you. But I got my degree, and that, that was it. I didn't know what was going to happen to me next, and I started getting anxious again, and that why me question came back into my head. And I didn't know how to answer it. So a few weeks later, I actually did my first post-accident interview with Channel 5 and the lovely Kay Quinn, really just to get out there and share my story and kind of thank everybody that supported me and let them know how I'm doing. But then I got a really interesting call from Dr. Kramer. He said there was this really tall, really cool guy at St. Louis U that wanted to meet me. His name was Mike Higgins. So I met Mike, and he shared a question with me he had when he was watching that interview. If St. Louis University can do this for you, Andrew, why can't they do it for everyone else? So he asked me what my thoughts were on a trauma program from my perspective and what that might need. We talked a lot about how trauma care isn't just patching up a patient's wounds and sending them out the door. It's about a holistic commitment to your patient and addressing not just the wounds, but also addressing the mental health and addressing the emotional support and really focusing on transformation during that moment. And that transformation led to just a few weeks later when Mike called me back and invited me to join SLU's medical center development team to utilize my story and my experience as a patient to develop a new trauma program that provides all those things that patients like like me need to have a thriving recovery and get back out there in the world. And I'm really proud to announce that after two years of planning, we just kicked off our pilot program a couple months ago, and we met our very first patient. And even prouder to announce that this program that we're inviting these patients to, our top supporters and donors wanted it to be called the Oberly Institute to tell that story of resilience and survival. So now, I, I don't work with chimps anymore. That's a question I normally get you know, from everybody that I talk to, and I don't, and I, and I, but I miss it. Um, I don't blame those animals for what happened to me. I don't hate them. I still actually go to the zoo, uh, and I sit with them, and I watch them with a lot of that awe that I had ever since I was that little eight-year-old boy. But it's also a little different for me now, too. I'm not just in awe by how cool these animals are and how they act and what they do, but I'm in awe at the role that they've played in my life now to get me to where I'm at, actually building something that's going to help hundreds if not thousands of other people in St. Louis and around the world Find that resilience and thrive after they go through something horrible. So, why me? I think I have that answer.
0: That was Andrew Oberly recorded at the Story Collider event titled Resilience on October 5th, 2017. The Best Laid Plans is the theme of the next Story Collider event, Wednesday, March 7th at 7 p.m. at the Ready Room in the Grove. And if you have a story idea for a future event, submit it to stlpublicradio.org slash storycollider. Archive versions of past St. Louis on the Air programs are available for download or podcast at stlpublicradio.org slash air. St. Louis on the Air is a production of St. Louis Public Radio, 90.7 KWMU. Thank you for listening. I'm Don Marsh.